0: Hear this. Hello and welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast, your podcast to those surfing spots that are off the beaten track, and in case we cover a spot that is on the beaten track, we will give a new spin to it. Enjoy the show! Hello friends and welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast, the best podcast to the most amazing kite and windsurfing spots on the planet. My name is Björn and as always I'm recording this from the tiny length locked country of Switzerland. Today we're gonna take you to part two of the episode with Bowen and Dwelly and long distance kitesurfing in the north of Brazil. We're gonna pick up the conversation at day number four. We're gonna talk about topics, how important it is to have land support, how foil boards improve the possibilities to explore new destinations by kitesurfing, what to carry on the water, how Surfing Sin finn can help you with their offering to explore the coast of northeast Brazil, and very importantly, what are Bowen's new projects, as well as Bowen's new podcast, which is called The Athletic Mind. Without further ado, let's get on with day number four of the journey. Which brings us to day number four.
1: Yeah, right.
0: So now you're in Preya, and the next leg is also a pretty decent one, yeah, to say the least. Yeah,
1: so that actually was the the longest uh, distance on uh, you know longest day of the of the trip, and it it's kind of the midpoint, right? So Preya is is adjacent to, to Jericho Quadra. It's just outside of the national park, and um, Marco, who is one of the 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 partners behind surf and symph Um, he he bought a piece of land there in Praya about 20 years ago and began to build a a hotel uh which has become a, an absolutely incredible place it's it's an oasis and uh, a a very very beautiful place and a fantastic kite spot um and so it was natural for us of course to you know to use that as one of our one of our stops Unfortunately, we didn't get to spend much time there, you know, because we arrived after dark. We had to have dinner, you know, get some rest and get up in the morning and get on the water as, as quickly as possible. Uh, so you leave from Praya and that's a it's a classic, you know, you talk about downwinders, right? The It's a classic local kind of mini downwinder. If you go to Jerry, um, you take a buggy up to Praya, you downwind around the point. And maybe go down from there a little bit, and you can do that two or three times in a day. It's 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 amazing. And so the first part of the day, you know, we, we got to do that ourselves. Uh, leave from Praia, you go around the the rocky point there, uh, and you come around to to Jerry, and you see you know all the windsurfers and kiters out there, and and uh, across the bay in Jerry. Um, we didn't even stop in, in, in you know in Jerry because we had so far so much distance to cover um but we did we did manage to shoot coming around that point you can see some of the footage in the film uh we were flying the drone as we came around the point there it's it's beautiful and um man there's a long stretch that day um there's kind of the day kind of is broken into two parts you know the the first the first half of the day uh south or or I should say west of uh Jerry, you pass the um the Laguna Tatajuba uh which is also mm-hmm. a really popular freestyle spot and that whole stretch of coast there is is usually super fun um there's often some good good waves, not like point break waves but just good um you know interest fun kind of uh, shore break um then you got a big river mouth at Camosim, um mm-hmm. which is and a, as you go west, the river mouths get bigger and bigger and they they start to create some, you know, interesting, challenging situations uh of their own. Um and as I remember as we pass they start creating after the after that's they start creating
0: really deltas actually. Yeah,
1: exactly. The river mouths get bigger, as they get bigger they get more complicated, you know, geographically, the 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 deltas get bigger. And also just the you know the river mouth, the bay essentially that's created by the main river mouth, as you know they get bigger and bigger. And so you, especially at high tide, when you're crossing one of these these river mouth bays, you know you might be crossing five kilometers of, of open water, which which again you know, and you have currents, uh, the river's coming out, and then you know if the tide is going one way or the other, uh, it can be quite interesting crossing those those big river mouths. I have no idea what are what are the tides in this area. Oh man, they're pretty big, actually, and it's something. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. I, I had it in my mind. I mean, before I started traveling to Brazil regularly, that you know that for somehow I thought well, northern, you know, higher latitudes, bigger tides, and I thought well, in the tropics, you know, the tides are are, are a smaller range. But it's not true, actually. That's yeah. totally incorrect. <laughs> That's, <laughs> um, so the tidal range there on the northeast coast of Brazil. Um, goes from a two to four meters. Uh, so oh, really? if you're there during a full moon or new moon, you can have a four-meter tidal range, which is, that's a lot of water moving. A lot of water moving.
0: So it's definitely something you have to consider in uh, in, in planning your journeys as yes, well. Yes,
1: that's true too, in fact. Um, and, and you know, the trips, um, the scheduled trips that that these guys do, you know they're timed for, you know, looking with respect to the tides and and absolutely coming in. I yeah. mean it's true anywhere in the world. If you're if you're planning a kite trip, you know you want to look, you know, look at the wind, look at what the waves are going to be doing, uh and think about the tides also. It's it's a good yeah. But if the tide
0: is fifty centimeters or thirty centimeters, right. you don't have to worry about it. That, yeah? That's right.
1: That's um, right.
0: At the moment the tide becomes two to four meters, you have to start worrying about it. Yeah, because there's a Especially uh, on the shallow areas, there is going to be a huge drag.
1: Exactly, it's I'm thinking more of a, it's more of a factor because of the you know low tide. You have sandbars and perhaps reef that's exposed in certain places that at high tide is you know just completely covered and not a factor at all. Okay. Uh, and in fact, on this coast, so we were talking about the fourth day and about about halfway through the fourth day, the wind was getting a bit light. Uh, I think around Camosim there. And so some of the crew uh opted not to not to carry on in the water uh just for the, the sort of the, that afternoon. Marco and I stayed in the water kiting and uh as we got to um this place called Bitupita uh which it marks the beginning of yet another river mouth um Um, the wind just got super light, and that's a it's a big, wide river mouth there. So it's a big, wide bay. Uh, That's yeah, it's about five, six, five, six kilometers of open water. And again, the sun was going down, and we made the call. It just didn't make sense to try to cross that bay, you know, like in the dark with no wind. (laughs) So, so uh, this the people that is just on the.
0: On the corner is it um just before the river mouth of, of uh, the um the what's the river yeah right?
1: i don't know the name of that river but uh it's actually the yeah. the, the, the actually it's the state line exactly. isn't
0: it so there exactly
1: so there you have the state of of Sierra changing to the state of Piauí. exactly there was so we we put in there bitupita and um we um you know we 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 uh we, we, we called it a day there. Unfortunately, the, or you know, just how it is there on the coast. You know, the um, the, the places where the road the road does come out to Bitupita, uh, but our vehicle was quite a long ways away, and so it it took I don't know two and a half three hours for the vehicle to uh, to reach us there in Bitupita. Um, initially, we were a little bit frustrated about that prospect, uh, and you know, in, until we were embraced by a local family there who brought out this who, this whole seafood dinner of lobster and fish and beer and whatever else and you know we ended up having a fantastic time hanging out there with them and waiting for a-
0: another one of my favorite scenes in the movie actually
1: yeah yeah it was it was really nice Wh- which
0: gives is a nice segue to another question i have um your guardian angel Ayrton, mm-hmm. the guy who was following you around all the time and how important is it to have uh, this type of land support i know you did it without but uh what's your what's your opinion about this
1: yeah yeah well Ayrton is he's an awesome guy and and it is so cool to be able to work with him um and and you can see that in the film you know he's, he's such a such a great character um and a and a true professional, a uh, real expert on the coastline, and a, a really professional driver, and 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 you know he knows how to work with kiters. And in terms of you know how important is it? Well, it, it depends on what you're doing. You know, for what we were doing for filming, obviously it's mandatory. You know, to 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 move with equipment and um, you know with the film crew and, and and that sort of thing. You know, you, you need you need a vehicle. And for just about anybody else, you know, if you're going to Brazil and you want to do a long distance trip in a, you know, and you have a kind of a limited time window and you haven't done this sort of thing before, you definitely want to do a supported trip with, you know, with proper vehicle support and and logistical support. Uh, Because you you don't know, first of all, you don't know where you're going to where are you going to end up where are you going to need to put in like i i just described the situation we ran out of wind we ran out of time we had to put in somewhere and um you know we we if we if we hadn't had the vehicle we could have slept there you know we would have found a place to sleep and something to eat and we could have carried on the next day but we you know that's not the program we were on yeah and so uh for for most people yeah you 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 want that um it's also very interesting, you know, the, 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 it's just really a different conversation to talk about, you know, doing this kind of long distance thing uh, completely unsupported. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I mean, you know, without, without vehicle support. Right. Um, And I mean, just, you know, to talk about that for, for, for a minute though, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, I was lucky enough to be able to do uh, a, a trip. It was actually this year. It was earlier this year uh from or no this year, last year. I don't even know which year. <laughs> it was last year. It was later <laughs> in the year. It was after this film project. It was uh it was in November of last year when I uh went down there. I met up with Andre Penna and in Natal and we kited from Natal to you know all the way around the corner uh almost to Fortaleza again with you know with no vehicle support and uh that is just just ourselves, our kites and a small, uh, waterproof backpack. Um, and because of the, you know, again, because of the geography and because of the climate there, because the water is warm and the air is warm and that wind is consistent. And because the coast is settled, you know, there are villages, there are fishing villages all along the coast. Um, it's actually, you know, quite possible for, you know, the, the adventurous, Uh, the the truly adventurous person uh, to travel along the coast completely independently. And
0: uh, I mean, I'm just, just for my listeners now here, this is roughly also 600 kilometers.
1: Uh, I think, you know, we, we managed to travel about 400 K before we, we kind of ran out of time um, and, and and the wind was getting light and, and we had to, um, well, we ran out of time no, no, we're not talking about 50 kilometers here
0: yet. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Exactly. We're also talking about, uh, about four to five. Yeah, kilometers.
1: it was very similar in that we were traveling, you know, 50, 70, 100K per day. Um, and, you know, we would just, you know, when we ran, when we got tired or we ran out of time in the day, we would just uh, choose the next stop in the next village and find a place to sleep, and somewhere to eat and uh, carry on in the morning.
0: And put a visa card in your pocket.
1: Yeah yeah pretty much exactly it's, it's yeah exactly, so um really depends on what you're trying to do. what were you carrying
0: um because Ayrton was of course carrying your kite gear, what were you carrying on your back actually whilst you were kite surfing just water or or nothing at all, you just did stopovers or, or yeah, yeah,
1: good question um well, you know on I mean, you can see in the film that, you know, in during the filming there, for the most part, I was not actually carrying anything, you know, be, because we had this, you know, support close and we were stopping to film and, and that sort of thing. Um, but normally when I'm on one of these long distance trips, whether I have uh, vehicle support or not, uh, I'm carrying uh i am carrying some stuff and um, it would be carrying kind of similar similar things so i what i what i carry um uh, a small waterproof backpack uh and you can get i mean there's all sorts of uh manufacturers that make these things these days that they actually you know are waterproof and they will completely stay waterproof even you know with the dynamic nature of kite surfing Uh, So Mm -hmm. inside of, you know, I've got some water, some food, some sunscreen, uh, a little bit of uh, kind of spare parts and repair. So like a little bladder patch kit uh, or a little roll of kite repair tape, usually a a pair of booties, uh, maybe a pair of um, Havaianas, you know, a pair of sandals um, in case I land somewhere I need to walk you know, um, uh, maybe a couple of spare fins, right. If I'm, you know, since yeah. I'm riding a surfboard, if I knock out a fin again, like spare parts of maybe a piece of Dyneema, a little bit of kite line, you know, you never know you can, you know, how you might make use of that sort of thing. And then I've got my cell phone, <clears throat> um, probably in another, you know, waterproof bag, a little bit of money, and um Usually some kind of uh, GPS uh, locator transmitter device like a Delorme uh, inReach, you know, that kind of thing. So that if I'm okay, if I I end up somewhere really remote and I need to send a message to somebody either saying, hey, I'm okay or hey, I need help, you know, then uh, I can send a message. So I do carry a little bit of stuff and, um, you know, it gives you that added element of security and comfort and. You know, just knowing that, hey, if I get separated from the group and I want to stop on some beach somewhere and you know have some something to eat and something to drink, yeah, you know, it's, it's really important actually to have that. You know, it's very it's reassuring and it's it's um you know it, it's just good um uh, good preparedness you know to to be able to take care of yourself. Yeah, but again, as you mentioned, the the
0: coast. A line you're speaking about or we're talking about is ideally suited for this. First of all, it's warm. You don't need a lot. And although it's sparsely populated, it's still populated. Uh, you could always find something within a decent distance where you can at least stay overnight or get a glass of water
1: or get something. To yeah, eat, but to eat, you know, it? you might find yourself in some place though where you would have to walk. You know, like several kilometers you know like a lot of kilometers so okay. you know <laughs> good good to be prepared um especially as you continue west right so you know <clears throat> that last day that we were talking about where we landed in Bitupita, and then we we went by vehicle to spend the night in uh, baragaranji uh which is also a you know it's a well-known kite destination these days you go west from Paragranji, and then you get very quickly into the the, the the delta of the Parnaiba River, right? And, you know, once you're in the delta, um, it's much the coast is much less accessible, at least by vehicle. You know, you, you kind of need a boat um, to get out to the, the actual, to the beach there. And maybe take us there, because that was day
0: five, wasn't it? Where you went to Hijo, Hija dos
1: poldres. Yes, yes. So exactly, yeah. So, so that you you enter now like a, another section of the coast. Just in in terms of how I think about it, when you leave Baraganji, you have a a couple of big bays to cross. Um, where you're you're offshore. Usually, you kind of cut cut across the bay. Uh, the wind is often a bit lighter there, so it helps to stay offshore. And then you come to this place called Pedro dos Sal um which is a uh, big rocky point uh, and a, a port there <clears throat> and not a particularly pretty place but that is the gateway to the, the the Parnaiba um in this case when we were on the film project when we got to Pedro do Sal the again the wind was uh was pretty light there in the afternoon and that was the first time that we decided to, or Andre and I decided to to use the foil boards. So we uh, we switched boards there. The road comes out there to that town. So we were able to, you know, to get the switch boards off the vehicle. And uh, we foiled uh, across the bay there and across the, the main mouth of the, the Parnaiba River uh, and mm-hmm. then landed on the beach there uh in this place yes ido dos poldros uh which is a uh, a beautiful remote uh private uh ranch uh that that operates as a small hotel um it, that is you know it's on an island in the middle of the the parnaiba delta it's, it's just absolutely incredible place incredible place yeah there you 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 the, again the landscape changes again and so you still have the sand dunes but you have this network of river channels and um and and you and the mangrove uh, jungle meets the sea and uh it, it's 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 an absolutely incredible landscape and of course that island is really completely undeveloped they're, they're just a um a few small ranches and fishing camps and that sort of thing on this entire uh on this entire island so um that's a uh, a place that we often stop on these trips and it was, was great to be back there. It truly looks magical. I can't say anything about it. Yeah, it really is. Let me,
0: I postponed the discussion about the foil boards. I changed my mind completely on foil boards, um, just, uh, three weeks ago. Um, I, I, I always, I always see these foil boards in very light winds, um, with the guys Going out with twenty square meter, these fly servers, you know, uh-huh, these, sure. parach- these parachutes uh, with eight knots winds. But I was now in Greece, mm-hmm. and uh, it was like twenty five to thirty knots. I was out with an eight with my waveboard. There were not a, w- a lot of waves to ride, yeah. and there was a guy. He overtook me. I think he was. A, he's a big guy. He was a big guy. Yeah, I mean not big in the sense of heavy, but he was two meters. Mm-hmm. A strong well-built guy he was out with a five yeah. with a foil board i was doing i think my average 15 to 20 degrees upwind i think he was doing 40 yeah, exactly and and he was going 40 knots on top of that board. i know he was going 40 knots but he was doing yeah, 25 probably yeah. th- 25 30 and it was and it was choppy conditions. I was fighting, it was a small wave, yeah, a choppy wave, not really fun to ride. And this guy was just, and his kite, this five, it was parallel to the water. It mm-hmm. was not up in the air, he was just flat on the water. And he was riding like a madman. And I completely changed my, my opinion <laughs> about this. I thought this was only something for light wind kiting um yeah now i have to buy a new foil board and i have to get i have to get the hang of this because this is the most amazing thing i've ever seen but you have more experience than i have tell me about it. That. yeah that's so because cool you that have you, some. yeah crack.
1: i think that's that might be a picture that uh an impression that a lot of people get that you know foiling is for light wind and i i've i i just said that in this case that you know the wind got light and so we switched to the foils well i'm not talking about ultra light wind you know i'm talking that, that the wind had dropped to you know probably that range of like 4 you know 12 13 14 knots where you know to be on a surfboard you're going to need a a big big kite and you're really still going to be kind of struggling whereas in that kind of wind range with a, an 8 meter kite and a foil it's absolutely perfect Uh, and you're in no danger of being in an ultra light wind situation. I've been foiling now for four years uh, and it's transformed my, you know, my experience with kite surfing. It's opened up um, so many more possibilities in terms of where I can go and, and you know, how I can ride and how I can use uh, kiting as a tool to explore. And uh, that came into play uh, you know, on this trip as well, you know, as I just described, and then also the following day or the you know the following days of the trip. Um, so it's something that I absolutely encourage everybody to uh, to you know, add to their quiver. It's super versatile. Do you think
0: that the upwind capabilities you have with the foil board allow you to actually explore upwind as well?
1: Absolutely does. You know, um, then that's part of what I was getting at earlier, you know, talking about the long distance experience is not just a downwind mm-hmm. experience, uh, because especially with foil boards, now we can do crossings and we can do upwind, uh, upwind journeys or upwind and return downwind or, or you know, we can, we can, we've got many more options in terms of the wind angle, uh, that, that we can play with. Um, and, um, uh, you know, as you mentioned yourself, you know, the, the upwind angle with a foil, you, you know, 45 degrees, I'm not sure exactly what it is. Uh, I should know, but it's, uh, it, it's a game changer. Absolutely. In fact, you know, um, one of my, uh, comrades on the, this, uh, film project, you know, Andre Pena, he, um, you, you can check it out there on the Surfing Simfim site. You know, he did a uh, downwind upwind by foil from Praia, in fact, to the place that I just described to Pedro Rosal and back mm-hmm. and back in a single day. So we're talking about, I don't know, almost 200 kilometers round trip or something like that uh, in a single day on a foil board. Right. And then, you know, if we just moved like to the the following day in this in this journey that we're talking about. Um if you look on the on the map as you know as we're going down the coast here you go west from the mouth of the Parnaiba, it opens into the the whole delta of the Parnaiba river which is one of the most extensive uh, river deltas in the world actually and you know that following day um you know we were able to or maybe it was the day after we we were able to explore up into the mouth of the the Caju river uh, which is, I mean, a branch of the Parnaiba there, using the foils, you know, in a way that just would have been impossible with with a with a wayboard or any other board, because we were we are working against the the current of the river, um, and and uh, in very highly variable winds. Um, again, it just and partially and partially also strongly upwind, isn't it? it exactly. Look at
0: the at the cor- at the corners of the yeah. of the delta and. Uh, figure out the wind coming there are
1: some parts where you have to really have a an high angle upwind. Exactly. It Exactly. So that, that was only possible to do with the foils. And I can tell you that here in San Francisco, you know, my, the kite that I use the most is a five meter kite. I'm foiling here in the bay, you know, five meters is, that's my normal size now. With 20 knots of wind or something like yeah, that. Yeah, anywhere right? from 17 to 22 knots, you know, more than that, I, I use an even smaller kite. <laughs> <laughs> take my on the <laughs>
0: Um,
1: last day, last day, day seven. Yeah, well, just yeah, to to finish out the you know the itinerary, really the the journey. So the 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 Parnaiba Delta, absolutely incredible place. All these you know river channels, etc. We came through the delta. We made a quick stop at Tutoya, um, which marks the the beginning of the the Lencois uh, the the the, the National Park, and then we had another long stretch of uh, coastline there, to so get from Tutoya to Achins, uh, the, the um, you know the little town where we we uh, ended the trip. It's also a very beautiful stretch, but by then also as the wind does tend to get a little bit lighter. Um, I think we, we had good wind, um, that whole stretch though. And there's also some nice points. So you, you, you often get some waves on that stretch. And then as you can see, you know, same thing. We arrived in Achines just as the sun was going down. And, um, you know, at at the end there, um, you know, we, we, we reached Achines on the, the, the seventh day, I think. And, and then we had, uh, we had a little bit of time afterwards, <clears throat> you know, in the following days, to uh, to go into the main part of the Lençois Maranhenses National Park and to kite in the uh, the lagoons there in the Lensois, which is, is you know that's like another planet. I mean, if you go to Brazil, if you go to this part of Brazil, absolutely, you got to take the take the extra time to explore the Lençois. It's it's mind blowing. I mean,
0: uh, for anybody who 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 is not even into doing this long distance kite surfing trips just watch the movie and just get a feeling about the amazing beauty of this northeastern brazilian coastline as a as a kite surfing destination or a destination to visit itself i would, I would advise everybody to watch the movie it's it's truly amazing yeah i really um,
1: flabbergasted flabbergasted that's it. so cool i'm glad it made the made such a strong impression on you and i i agree you know I, I watched it again last night myself, and it does a great job of capturing the the beauty of the landscape and the you know the the feeling of being there. It's special these these seven days
0: or eight days which you spent with the team, and what was your feeling when you completed this?
1: Yeah, you know, um, for me, there there are a couple of aspects about this trip. I mean, one is that it's you know it it is it was a very long distance. trip uh journey and uh and even though it was okay seven well eight nine days really uh, you know it's a significant amount of time and so you know there's the physical experience of 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 traveling and kiting you know such a long distance it's it's tiring uh and you're you know by the end of that sort of thing you're exhausted you know in a really good way and you're just full of of uh, Well, you're full of like salt water and sand in your ears and in your hair and, you know, wherever else. But you're just you're full of of that experience. You're, you're full of, of nature, you know, for me personally, it was also a great learning experience. It was um, my first experience as a professional athlete, really, you know, being involved to participate in a project like this um, and mm-hmm. also uh, working, uh, you know, uh, to produce a, a, a film um, and, a you know, a kite surfing adventure travel documentary film. And so, you know, that for me was a, a big part of the experience. Um, so, you know, not just, so it wasn't just an athletic experience, but it was a learning experience and a, a real, uh, a really interesting experience working with the team and, 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 you know, learning a bit of how to how to do all that, and how to work as an you know as an athlete and and work with you know with the film crew and the you know this the sound and and all that stuff uh this that that yeah, was oh i was gonna say you know you 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 mentioned this at the beginning you know, and also as the only uh non portuguese speaker english speaker you know in this group of you know really about ten people you know that is uh it's a huge intellectual challenge. Um, to work in a in a team, you know, with where everyone's speaking a foreign language. Um, and uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but, you know, you're, you're sitting around a table and there are 10 people speaking another language and, you know, I'm just staring at them so intently concentrating with you know 150 of my of my concentration you know, trying to figure out like what are you guys saying
0: (laughs) i know i know exactly what you're talking about and
1: it's i love that challenge yeah i'm working and we're trying to have conversations about you know where are we going what are we doing what are we shooting who is doing what you know logistics timing all this sort of stuff and it's all in portuguese you know (laughs) so
0: tell me can't let the opportunity slip for serving sam finn they were a big participant and probably one of the main organizers of of getting this project started Um, we should do a little bit of a promotion for them as as well i know you you know them pretty well Uh, would you advise them uh, what do they offer and and I will of course include their details in the show notes. Sure, sure. But they are—they—they they seem really as experts on 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 doing this type of of long distance kinds of fire.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, surf and surf Theme. I mean, I've been traveling all my life, and I've I've also worked in adventure travel, and worked in event and conference production, and 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 um, also in the production of of many many trips and journeys and adventures and. I've been super impressed with um with Surfing and Feem with this company, right? So uh with their work um and, and that's how I got again introduced to this project was, you know, I I signed up for a trip uh you know as as a client uh, a couple of years ago now. Um and um so what Surfing and focused focus there, uh, it's a Brazilian company, they're focused primarily uh, on trips uh, on the northeast coast of Brazil, this area that we're talking about. Uh, But they also do stuff in other parts of Brazil, Um, huge coastlines there. So, I mean, there's great kiting in Rio. There's amazing kiting in southern Brazil. Um, And, of course, there are also uh, kite spots in in, in other parts, you know, South America. They do stuff in Chile and Peru and and other places as well. And, um, you know, as you mentioned there, that northeast part of Brazil, especially in the center of that area around Jerry. And and there there are lots of hotels and kite clubs and and other outfitters, so there's no shortage of different ways to, you know, visit that area. But what I, what I'm what I see with surfing Safim is that they're they're super focused on the quality of the experience, um, and just you know making sure that all of the logistics are taken care of in a really professional way, and you know in a way that lets you, uh, you, that lets you the you know the participant the rider focus a hundred percent on the experience, um, and on you know immersing yourself in in the the riding and in the natural environment, and uh, you know, for me, that's what I felt uh, when I first traveled with them, and uh, you know that was able to travel from place to place entirely, you know, although we had you have the vehicle support, you don't ever get in the vehicle uh the the way Ooh. these trips are organized. You travel from from Posada to Posada from, from beach to beach and so for the entire time uh, that you're traveling, you, you don't have to get in a car or get on a road. Um you're just traveling by kite, which is, is just an incredible experience. And also the you know the, the crew, the surfing symphony crew that I've come to know, they're really um they became like family very quickly. It's a very not just professional but very warm group of people and and uh it's just part of how they they do business what do you do when there is a day of no wind except for
0: go (laughs) snorkeling
1: you know i've never well i was going to say i've never experienced that there was years ago the first time i went to brazil which was you know eight or nine years ago uh i do remember one day in jerry where it, it wasn't no wind it was just it was light wind and and even so it was still kiteable uh and and so i have never actually experienced a no wind day uh on one of these trips uh what would you do well you would enjoy the incredible surroundings and uh especially if you're yeah and enjoy mojito yeah and, and explore these uh, river mouths and and stuff with a kayak or a stand up board or something like that um. Yeah. There's there's plenty to do, but I.
0: Bowen, before we end the interview, I know from the adventure sports podcast you have some other projects for doing kite-surfing safaris in mind. Maybe you have some others which you would like to announce now. But tell us about what other products you have planned in this area.
1: Yeah. Well. Um. Definitely. This kind of. I, I'm a. Uh, become very passionate about. Exploring, uh, using uh, kite surfing as a tool to explore, and, and I, I've been an explorer all my life, and I, you know, I love to, so I love being able to, to, to combine kiting, uh, again, use it as a tool to explore the world. And so I uh, was part of another project earlier this year in the Philippines where we, um, we traveled uh, two and a half, three weeks through, through the Philippines exploring the coast there traveling by kite documenting that experience and so i've got some well i we you know various groups have some other projects like that in development we are uh, aiming to uh, continue this um this do a continuation of this project that we've been talking about uh, that you and i have been talking about and continue uh, west on the coast of brazil there and get into the into the amazon coast uh, which is um a whole different animal. Uh it's much more it's less developed, it's more wild, the geography changes. Um, so that's that's out there on the horizon somewhere. And most importantly, how's the wind? Yeah, I don't know. Is the answer. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I guess there are not oh, too too many weather stations out there. Yeah, on Wind windguru or windy.com, which you can check out. Kind of.
1: Yeah, you know, I think the short answer is that it's you know it it gets less reliable as you as you continue to the west. Um, and the um, so so that's one thing. Um, also, you know, as a native Californian here, I grew up in in here in San Francisco, and um, you know, to the south of us, if you continue south, south, south. California, you get into you cross the border into Mexico, and you get into Baja California. Um, and Baja is is another just like paradise for adventure of all sorts. And uh, I got a project that I'm starting to develop in Baja, um, <clears throat> so that 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 could be out there somewhere in the future. And in both
0: the in the Philippines, this was also like. A long-distance
1: adventure? The main part of the trip that I did in the Philippines, we were primarily on the island of Mindoro, um, which is a big island to the south of Luzon, which is the the island where where you find Manila. And we traveled from the, the northern shore of Mindoro around the eastern side and all the way around to the kind of southwest shore of Mindoro um Mm -hmm. and also to some other places but you know kind of that entire coastline um we 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 covered as much of it as we could by kite and so we and and it, it also did some crossings out to some islands i think this is
0: except for the two or three destinations which are overrun this country is in the winter months still unexplored territory for uh kite surfing in large to a large extent, because you have so many islands and so many beaches.
1: Yeah, I think that's really true. And I, I've been there a couple of times actually. And um, I know that most people when they, you know, if you're a kiter and you think about the Philippines, you, you probably heard of Boracay. Uh, we did make a stop in Boracay. And, you know, my advice is, just is, is skip it. You know, it, it's not that it's not an interesting place. Um, but, you know, there's seven to 8,000 islands in the Philippines, depending on how you count them. And if you're an adventurous person and there's no reason to to go to the most developed, you know, uh, place in the entire archipelago, um, go somewhere else. You did a documentary about that? Yeah, exactly. We shot that in the—that's uh, going to—also uh, with the backing of uh, Canal Off in Brazil— and, uh okay. um, that was a project put together by, uh, again, uh, Andre Pena, you know, he was one of, one of the main guys on this project that we've been talking about and he's done, uh, a bunch of stuff. He did a whole series in, uh, in Africa two or three years ago, kiting down the, uh, the East coast of, of Africa. Um, and, uh, he put together this, uh, this project in, in the Philippines as well. Okay. We potentially could do a
0: podcast episode yeah that that too
1: absolutely um bowen
0: now i really want to be mindful of your time we're almost two hours in let's talk about two other projects i know you're working on let's start with the podcast yeah tell us what what are your plans
1: yeah cool thanks thanks for asking um well it was it was it was great when you know you and i connected and and um uh, we had a chance then to, uh, you know, to kind of, sh- to share our, to, to share and compare our, our, our own, our two podcasts. So the, uh, the project I'm working on is called the athletic mind and it's a podcast, uh, exploring the uniquely powerful mindset of the outdoor athlete. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about that today, both in, you know, but also about the places and, you know, where we go. I'm, I'm a little more f- going to be a little bit more focused internally, on how, you know, what we do as, as outdoor adventure athletes on how that affects how we think and, and our, uh, how that translates into kind of specific, uh, ways of thinking and even, um, specific kind of mental practices or, or tools, you know, that have, um, developed or emerged from, the, our physical, uh, practices as, as athletes, you know, one of the most transformational things for me really in the, in the past couple of years of my life has been the, um, the improvement in my, my sense of intuition. Um, and w- what I attribute that to is, is my athletic practice. Actually, uh, I've, I've seen literally, I, I, I've, I've seen, that my mind has learned how to be more intuitive by observing mm-hmm. how my body moves, you know, when I'm engaged in, in physical activity. Um, and I think that, you know, we, of course, many of the ways that we talk about intuition, you know, we talk about it as a feeling, right? It's oh, I just, you know, I just had a feeling. Well, a feeling, you know, feelings are our body and I've, I've, come to believe that uh, I think it's really quite clear that intuition starts in the body and that you know in a way you could say that intuition is the body thinking and that then if you so if you can you know if you connect those dots, then it becomes clear or at least for me my experience has been that my athleticism has strengthened my intuition um and intuition is really the source of creativity um and, and so. For me, that allows me to draw a line between athleticism and, and creativity, uh, which is, 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 is kind of a, a, is a, is a less explored area. Uh, we don't tend to think of athletes and artists, for example, as, as in the same realm at all, but I think they're much more closely connected than, um, than, than we often tend to think about. So that's what the athletic mind is all about. <clears throat> We've already started. That project and I'm interviewing outdoor athletes uh, starting with you know kite surfing windsurfing swimming all the kind of stuff that that I do um, and uh, exploring the uh, the athletic mind
0: I have one question I mean I'm I'm absolutely not diverse on this topic but do you think the athletical exercises improved your intuition or do you actually think because of the athleticism you came to rely more on your intuition?
1: That's it's a great question. And I I think it's more the the former, you know, that is that mm-hmm. that becoming more of an athlete and and really by, by that I mean just spending more time doing athletic stuff because I I'm not a hardcore athlete. I'm not an endurance athlete. I'm not doing, you know, as I said earlier, I'm not doing marathons or ultra marathons or, um, even this long distance kite surfing. Um, I would equate like a hundred K on the water kiting. I would equate to like, I don't even think it's quite like running a marathon. I I think it yeah I would say maybe it's like running 20k or or, or something mm-hmm. I'm I'm not really quite sure because I've never run a marathon <laughs> so anyway my point being that just by spending more time doing you know athletic stuff more time in that physical state uh, physically active state and and in particular outside I think that it's very important at least for me, that, you know, being outside in nature, being active in nature, because the the variability of the natural environment is, is obviously quite different from being physically active, you know, inside, like in a gym or, or in a climbing wall or something like that, where the environment is completely predictable. So it's being active outside in nature, you know, dealing with the the infinite variation in the natural environment that triggers your body right to 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 have to learn continuously right how to move mm-hmm. right and that is that to me is this definition of physical intuition you know your body figures out how to move on its own you know without your brain your conscious mind telling it what to do and and that for me is what literally you know then the conscious mind my conscious mind saw that happening sees that happening observes my body moving intuitively, and it was kind of like a, a light bulb went on, and you know, seeing that happen, I feel like my mind, you know, my conscious mind was able to gain the confidence to say, "Well, if you know, okay, the body can do this intuitive stuff. I, I you know, I can, I see how that works. I, I can do that more uh, when even when it's just like a pure mental activity." So now I have another question on this topic. Do you? Th- do you think certain sports
0: are more suitable than others? Um, I'll give you an example. So I can't go running uh, just on the street. Mm-hmm. The reason for this is because my mind doesn't switch right. off. For me, it's just a purely mechanical activity. Yeah. One step after the other. It's like uh, walking, but just a little bit faster. Sports like skiing, windsurfing, kitesurfing. Those are the sports I really like because they tend to focus my mind at every second, every millisecond. I have to be aware of the environment. I have to be aware of the changing conditions. That means I'm really in the now. It's uh, it's my little form of meditation, mm-hmm. um, if you understand what I mean. Do you think these types of sports enhance this intuition more than... Other athletic sports, or you think this is 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 an irrelevant?
1: yeah, no, I think it's very relevant, yeah, I think the as I was just saying, you know I think that first of all the distinction between well, let's just say outdoor right in nature I think that's mm-hmm. that's the the first criterion that's um that's essential um it's not to say that in some cases, you know doing stuff indoors might not have some of you know of that effect, but but I think the variability uh, of, of being active in the natural environment is a, is a key, uh, part of, of the equation. Um, if you go boxing, uh, I'm pretty sure indoor,
0: you're pretty, pretty aware of the, well, moment.
1: that's a good point, actually. <laughs> yeah. you're, you're right. And so I'm also just speaking from my own experience. And so, you know, I prefer to be outside, right? So for some people, yeah. uh, that's a great point, you know, and, and, yeah. You know, Right. If uh, I'm sure, boxers uh, have a huge uh, sense of physical intuition. So I, for me, right, I prefer to be outside. And then the, you know, so to your example, like running, I, same thing. I mean, I I can't bring myself to run, you know, on the street. But if you give me a nice single track trail, you know, rolling through the woods, man, I I love it. You know, and I'll take I'll take mm. off running. Um. And then beyond that, I don't know, it's interesting because, you know, there's some very simple things like like trail running, uh, which I love to do. And I and and that's one of, it was during, do you know, while trail running that this realization uh, first came to me about the direct connection between, you know, physical intuition and, and sort of purely, you know, or non-physical intuition. And that's very simple. You know, running is a very simple sport. You're only dealing with... Kind of one element, right? Whereas kite surfing, you're dealing with the wind and the water, and you're dealing with you know the kite and the board. So they're they're like mm-hmm. four things to manage. So I don't know, simple, complicated. I think it depends on your individual preference, of course, or you know what really engages you the most. But for me, it's got to be outside. And just to say one other thing, I mean there are other things that like other like swimming. It kind of does other things for me. I don't feel like it so much goes, you know, towards training my intuition. It it, it you know it goes towards other things because it, it doesn't engage me as as fully. Um, it, it's challenging in other ways. Interesting, Bowen. So your
0: podcast is going to focus on going to be interviews or what's what's the format of the podcast you're looking for?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm doing interviews with interviews with other athletes and mostly, yeah, i mean athletes that are you know much more accomplished than than myself, some of the first um i just the other uh, the other day uh, i had did a great interview with daniela morose uh she's uh just an incredible athlete uh she's a swimmer as, re- as well, but really her primary sport is uh, kiteboard course racing, so foil board racing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last year, at the age of 16, 16 years old, she won the or was awarded the uh, uh, Rolex uh, Yachtswoman of the Year uh, for her uh, accomplishments, among which are w- winning the world championship in kiteboard course racing. Uh, so, I mean, imagine reaching that level of accomplishment. Uh, you know, just still 600. in your teens. So, she's someone to watch. She's definitely um, uh, a major contender. You know, for um, for the uh, Olympics when uh, kiteboarding is uh, becomes part of the Olympics the next time around. Finally, yeah. Um, so talking to people like her, for example. And, uh, so I'm, I'm doing that now. I'm recording interviews and we'll be producing. And my plan, uh, is to release the first season of the show right around the end of October.
0: Do you already have uh, an iTunes account or not?
1: Yeah. All that stuff is still in development. So there's, there's not even really a website that I can direct people to for that project yet, but you know, you can, Find uh, you can find me on social media. I'm the only Bowen Dwelly in the world for better and for worse. I know, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can find me uh, bowendwelly dot com, Bowen Dwelly on Instagram and Facebook. What we're gonna do is
0: uh, when you have your first episode out, we're gonna give it a, a separate shout out. Yeah,
1: cool, fantastic, and, yeah.
0: Uh, and announce the announce the the name and the iTunes address and and uh, the website. Yeah, right on and and of course we will include all your contact details now. Boone, is there anything I forgot to ask you or anything which you would like to ask me?
1: I, I you know Bjorn, I don't think so. Not not specifically. It's been uh fantastic speaking with you and you know I love this kind of wide-ranging conversation and uh love speaking with uh someone else who's you know so passionate about the sport and about you know d- digging under the covers and you know talking to the people uh, in the sport around the world. Uh, you know, kite surfing for me, one of the best things about it and, and about my experience kite surfing is that it, it's a global, it's the global kite family. It's like anywhere we go in the world, right? We, we meet people that either we've met before or know somebody we went met before or, or that, you know, yeah. share the same passion for the sport. And it's such an incredibly positive community. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's been a huge part of my life. And so it's it's great to meet you and, and share this experience with you. Thank you.
0: All right, Bowen. then we're two hours and 15 minutes in. I would like to thank you very much for taking the time and spending your, what is it, Monday morning? My pleasure. Chatting with me. And I hope to have you back on um, to talk about one of your projects. And I also mm-hmm. hope to have you back on to have a short chat about how the podcast is going. Yeah. So, Bowen, thanks again. My
1: pleasure, Bjorn. It's been a great great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you.
0: All good things come to an end, and I hope that Bowen and myself were able to get you excited about this long-distance kite surfing journey is what Bowen is undertaking. I just can tell you it just moved up my bucket list to priority number one it's on top of my bucket list to do a long distance kitesurfing journey as soon as i have the possibility for it hopefully this winter yeah with that said i hope to talk to you soon the next episode is going to be released in i think three weeks take care
1: Dicky, did it,